Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. And so we begin again. First, I want to bring to the microphone. He's pulling a hat trick. Mm-hmm. Changing my name. We've got Southern Woods. Some nope. of you might know him as 84. Even. Nope. Some of you might just know him as Clay. Nope. But if you back up from the microphone a little bit, how would you now like to be presented? Oh, Robert Clay. Sharp. Wow. I think you missed your calling in life. How is that? I should be an announcer. You shouldn't have been a handyman or electric. What? Do you do electricity? No. Yeah. You know, the, the here or there. Yeah. Like you've messed around. I do the electricity. Do you even have a job? I mean, you're always wearing that blue collar shirt and you got the Henry. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, all right. Now you can get these at the, at the <laughs> yeah. halfway house. <laughs> yeah, it's like a Halloween costume you got yeah. your name put on. My name's really not even Clay. It's just that's what, whatever this dude, this Clay dude that turned these shirts in, right. I just bought them. So. Well, I want to begin tonight by getting back to my political roots. Mm-hmm. Yes, my political roots. Because there's a... News story I saw at the top of Drudge Report that made me start thinking about the basics. It's from a website called studyfinds.org, which that's always a good topic for discussion. I need to bookmark this website. Studyfinds.org. Yes. Okay. Americans don't know all First Amendment freedoms. Half of Americans don't know all the freedoms found in the First Amendment. What's more, barely more than a quarter, 26% of participants knew how many amendments even compromised the Bill of Rights. In fact, one in five people weren't even familiar with the Bill of Rights. Okay. Now, if you actually ask somebody, enumerate the First Amendment, and they couldn't get it exactly right, I mean, I, even I, like, I'm not... Yeah, I could I don't have, have it memorized letter for letter. Sure. But I generally understand. It, but there's... It, for, religious freedom... Twelve amendments in the Bill of Rights, correct? Or, I believe... Or wait, ten. Ten? Mm-hmm. See, I, I mean, I don't well, even they, know Well, we've that. added amendments. We've added them. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've got many. I mean, because, I mean, you got the 24th, 25th, and all that. I know we have many more, but the Bill of Rights, first 10, you're correct. Well, and unless you're a historian, you're constantly talking and thinking about the stuff, it's easy for busy people to forget the, like, chapter and verse. But generally, like, if you look at the First Amendment, what is it? You can't, in particular, you can't establish the religion if you're the government. Right. And this is all about the government. The government itself cannot establish. The federal government cannot establish a state a religion. Sta- a, a, a national religion. Right. 
No, you know establishment. Yeah, well, and, and I know state. Well, they can't the even return. Well, and they can't. They can't create one like, say, the Church of England. You can't have like that what you have of that. in Iran. You can't have a theocracy or Saudi Arabia. Or weirdly, even though North Korea might be kind of a, they're officially communist and Stalinist and atheistic, they really are kind of a religion because technically, yeah, Kim Jong Il and uh, what is it, Kim Il Sung, the founder of North Korea, is technically still the ruler. Yeah, even in death. Dude's still like in a vacuum sealed right. container or something over and there. And they have all sorts of weird myths, too, that they teach their people. So it's pretty much a theocracy. It functions like one. And a very stringent authoritarian theocracy. But So the First Amendment, no establishment of a state religion. The government can't pick and choose among the different religions. And but it also protects, the First Amendment does, the free exercise of religion. So the government can't make any laws... Abridging and prohibits the free exercise thereof, and that's Absolutely. and that's when I think this may come down to people not understanding the meaning of words. You know how words get changed, mm-hmm. and and oh, wait, the, wait. They, they keep using words, mm-hmm. and they, and, it, and they take on a different meaning, like progressive. Mm-hmm. At one time, progressive was not a bad word. Now, when you hear progressive, you're thinking, oh, that's a liberal Democrat. No, sometimes you want to progress. You want to go further. You want to be better. Right. And they have captured that phrase. But a state religion, technically, if the state of Alabama, that is a state, Mm -hmm. decided, hey, Southern Baptist is the religion of this state. You either be Southern Baptist or you get out. That is constitutional. And maybe I need to look at the Alabama Constitution again, because well, certain states have also adopted the same principles yeah, as you find uh, in the federal. Un- unless yeah. it unless it violates our state constitution, but under the federal constitution, when it talks about the state, it's talking about a uniformity of everybody. They can't say right. in the United States every it says Congress shall not make body no has law. yeah, and so Congress. Doesn't have to make a law. That does not keep the uh, you know the state Originally. of Alabama from saying, "Hey, we're going to be Mormon." Originally, we're going to be uh, well originally or now not. Now we also have the the Fourteenth Amendment and yeah, the establishment. Or wait, what is it? For incorporate the I can't remember. I know it's the Fourteenth Amendment. So it essentially. Uh, Binds the the Bill of Rights that binds the federal government now pretty much binds state governments. It binds government in general in this country. Is that the one they used that uh, old Peckerhead used to get Obamacare through? No. Uh, that... Was that the Commerce Clause that he? No, no, that was uh, no, that was fifteen. That was tax, right? It fifteen tax. tax. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and he just he just rewrote. Absolutely rewrote legislation yeah, for- and said, oh, this is a tax. It's not a penalty. It's the Equal Protection Clause. We're right? not forcing you to engage in commerce. We're just going to tax you if you don't engage in commerce. Bull crap. Right. So it's essentially the 14th Amendment in many ways, whereas incorporation applies to the Bill of Rights to the states through the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment 
and reverse incorporation, the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment has been held to apply to the federal government through the Due Process Clause located in the Fifth Amendment. Here's my point. Because just reading that, that legal babble, it's very important legal babble. Don't, don't you know, get twisted. It's important stuff. Maybe it's not even babble, but it kind of comes across that way when you read it fast. It reminded me again of my roots. And one of my inspirations, I don't agree with him wholeheartedly on all matters. There are some ugly things he said, especially in his diaries, uh, as I've come to learn. But you take the good with the bad, and you take people in their historical time and place. Could have been better. Could have been one of the true greats, but he had some flaws. All that said, one of my favorite authors is H.O. Mencken. And I like him because not only was he a hardcore individualist, not only was, in a way, he a, an, he was an elitist in the best sense, not elite because he had a lot of money or elite because he came from good stock, uh, not elite in the sense that, oh, he runs a powerful government or a powerful corporation, elite in the sense that he had an elite state of mind. Like, he was just such a brilliant man that mm-hmm. he would often call out what he would, what did he call the bourgeoisie? He called them the bourgeoisie. Um, <laughs> he found a lot of people lacking uh, and intellectual faculties. So, he wrote something having this sort of elite mentality and also a very pessimistic mentality. He wrote something about the Bill of Rights. And this is early 1900s. We'll just put it generally there. Probably the 20s. And he wrote this, quote, It is perhaps a fact provocative of sour mirth. So it makes you give, you know, you laugh, but it's sort of a bitter laughter. It's like, (laughs) I'd rather laugh than cry. That the Bill of Rights was designed trustfully to prohibit forever two of the favorite crimes of all known governments. The seizure of private property without adequate compensation and the invasion of the citizen's liberty without justifiable cause. That's what it was designed to do, the Bill of Rights. In particular, the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. It is a fact provocative of sour mirth, yet more sour, that the execution of these prohibitions, as found in the Bill of Rights, was put into the hands of courts, which is to say, into the hands of lawyers, which is to say, into the hands of men specifically educated to discover legal excuses for dishonest, dishonorable, and antisocial acts. So we can look at the original Bill of Rights in many ways that Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation looked at the Bible and said, hey, you guys have really twisted this stuff. And the way maybe Jesus looked at the Pharisees, hey, man, you guys have really twisted this stuff. You found a lot of excuses to do, legal excuses in particular, to do dishonest, dishonorable, and antisocial acts. It's, you know, in our Constitution and you think about, if you want to go back to to scripture mm-hmm. our constitution is somewhat set up similar to old testament scripture and you had what happened back then you had the 10 laws i mean that's what you had that shall not kill y'all shall not keep steal you mm-hmm. don't don't cover no blaspheme because it you know, covet your, don't covet the livestock or the women, and don't yeah, don't covet your neighbor's ass. The uh, that's one of my best ones. But anyhow, it started with ten commandments, and then from there you get and and this is just believe it or not, it does not matter. 
But look at the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Mm -hmm. That's what came out of ten soul commandments. All these particular immense these, rules. Yeah. If you have mold in your house, mm -hmm. you know, don't, you know, the one that really confuses me, don't boil uh, meat in the milk of the mother of the calf. I, I don't even know where that comes from. But that's in Scripture. Right. And that's part Where, of... And how did you get there from thou shalt not steal or bear false witness or murder? Exactly. Anybody? But that's the way things just compound. And they compound. Yep. And even Moses, when Moses was leading the children through Israel, it was he was uh, he was the head of everything. And he couldn't handle all the cases coming before him. Mm -hmm. And he was advised. And Aaron told him, says, look, dude... Dude, you can't handle all this. Pick some other judges to judge these other things. And that's the way our system True. works. It goes from the Supreme Court is what's supposed to be there. Well, and now today we're arguing over is nine are nine justices enough or do we need 15 justices? Do we need 20? I mean, and some of this is sour grapes from the Democrats, but it's also an interesting question. The Constitution doesn't say how many judge, uh, justices on the Supreme Court. It's no, it doesn't. And you don't even... The The beautiful thing about it is, and this is what I would love to see, but it, it'll never happen. You don't even have to be a lawyer. You do not have to have a law degree to serve on the Supreme Court. Right. Because, and if you think about it, it makes sense. There was no bar association mm -hmm. At the time that the Supreme Court was established. Well, there are also, I think this is true, too. It's fun you looking. You have to be learned in right, the law, right. and that's it. Well, and what's interesting is it's fun to look at the Constitution and find these little rules or things that technically would be completely constitutional that we've never really done, or at least to my knowledge, never really done, and be amazing if somebody pulled it off because it would break with tr what we've done traditionally. For instance, I don't believe the Speaker of the House has to be a congressman. That would be another great one. What if somebody just ran a, a weird campaign where they said, you need to call your congressman, call your representatives, call your congresswoman, and make sure they make me Speaker of the House, and we're going to give them hell all day, every day. Can you imagine? That would be great. Can you imagine Joey Clark, Speaker of the mm -hmm. House? They wouldn't like me. Up <laughs> I would be assassinated quick. Oh, man, that would be so awesome. Yeah, you would be like they, in a suitcase. They would suicide me shot very in the quickly. Back of the head now I'm starting to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but, you know, I don't often do conspiracy radio. Because Terry Adams from 7.30 to 9 here on weekdays. And he does a dang good job on, on Saturday nights, right? He does a great job with it. So I'm not going to ever try to steal his thing. But I would like to talk about what I think is one of the biggest conspiracies ever. <clears throat> good. And I'm going to do a CS spotlight. <laughs> and this also comes from... My one of my inspirations, H.O. Mencken. Mm-hmm. I'll just give the first line. All government, in its essence, is a conspiracy against the superior man. Its one permanent object is to oppress him and cripple him. If it be aristocratic in nature, say it's like, you know, the old feudal lords and the kings and queens, 
or you have your caste of warriors with your priests, if it's aristocratic, then it seeks to protect the man who is superior only in law against the man who is superior in fact. If it be democratic, a democratic government, then it seeks to protect the man who is inferior in every way against both. One of its primary functions, government, this conspiracy that they push, is to regiment men by force, to make them as much alike as possible, and as dependent upon one another as possible, to search out and combat originality among them. All it can see in an original idea, all that government, this government conspiracy can see in an original idea is potential change, and hence an invasion of its prerogatives. The most dangerous man to any government is the man who is able to think things out for himself without regard to the prevailing superstitions and taboos. I love that word, taboos. Almost inevitably, he comes to the conclusion, the superior man, a thinking man does, that the government he lives under is dishonest, insane, and intolerable. And so, if he is romantic, he tries to change it. We do have a lot of thinking people. I mean, how many of you out there listening have actually thought the government I live under is dishonest, insane, and intolerable? I would hope everyone out there listening. And I didn't realize we had so many romantics, because how many of you out there had the desire to change it? A lot of romantics out there. I think there's a mix between the two, though, Joey. But if he's not romantic, and this is me, I've had my moods of being a romantic, but this is me. He's not city. romantic personally. He's very apt to spread discontent among those who are. And that's me. I spread discontent like the plague, but in a much more nice manner. Straight up cynic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm a hopeful I think, cynic, though. I, I I'm think, hopeful. I, I do believe in people. Like, if you ask me, are people basically good, basically bad? I would say, no, they're basically free. But it, in the at the end of the day, they mostly will do pretty good things. That, that's not that's not an answer, there, cousin. Mm-hmm. Are people basically good or basically bad? I think they're free. They're you're, both. You're free to be you're, either so way. So you're not a combination of good and bad. Oh yeah, yeah. But at the core, are you basically good or basically bad? Because, uh, I mean, freedom is the choice to pick between the right. two. So but I would say... There's some dog that's inside That's why I say you, you, that's what you basically You are. know, you, you've got the good dog and the bad dog, right. whichever one you feed. I mean, we've all heard these blah, blah stories. Yes. But basically, at birth, are you basically good or basically bad? I would say at birth, you're innocent. But that's, again, not answering your question that's exactly. Your, that's your Catholic coming out in you. You're not innocent. No, are you wait, 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 the Catholic, have you not heard of Catholic guilt and original sin? Catholics don't believe when you're born you're innocent. You you, need that baptism, baby. Are you you basically good or basically bad? I think neither. Well, then why did, why, oh, I will go to the Catholics. Why do they baptize you on day eight? Because you're fallen. Because you're basically bad when you're born. Well, the idea was you were basically good when you were in the Garden of Eden, or Adam and Eve were. And when they sinned, but you, and they you, had that original sin, it made us fallen. 
And you so that made there. us, yes, prone to evil more so than prone to good. That's where I am 100% with the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. You come out totally deprived. You are basically bad. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't I have... I don't think you, that, though. No, well, I'll tell you why you don't think this. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to use a simple example to illustrate it for you. You don't have children yet. Mm-hmm. You don't have to teach your children to say ugly words. You don't have to teach your children to curse. You don't have to teach your children to uh, pitch a hissy fit. Right. You don't have to teach your children to misbehave in public. Right. You have to train them to be good. They come out of the womb. You are an evil, bad person coming out of the womb. Then how did we ever have good people? Because you are trained in his past who, if, if you're when you're born, you're evil, who trained the people to be good? Because at some it's, point, everybody who's training had to be trained, and they were presumably born it's evil. It's been passed on, and you can break it down even to Noah. Mm-hmm. If you want to stop there, if you want to take, you know, do it scripturally, at Noah, it was like, no, nah, because you can't do this. You know, I'm sure Adam had a conversation with Cain, was like, dude, you can't be killing your brother. Right. That don't work. Sure. You know, stop it. You know, I think the big guy upstairs is not going to like this. I don't want to get hung up on it, but I would well, I don't say either. We're, we're both. We have the proclivity for both. We have the ability for both, but we are born with nothing but more the an, evil in us. More than an, more of an urge towards the evil. It, that's my opinion. Okay. No, uh, the urge is always going to the evil because mm. that's the easy way. That's the easy way out no matter what, no matter what stage in life you are or what have you. But when you have children and you, you see them grow up, you realize you don't have to teach them to be bad. You never have to say, now, come here, Coleman. Come here. Come here, Frizz. Now, here's how you pronounce that word and teach him a curse word. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do that. They get all that. You have to teach him, son, let me tell you something. You're eight years old. You don't say these words in public. I hear what you you're say saying. It around you do have to socialize children, and I hear it's it. It's not socializing, though. It is teaching them right from wrong. Well, but I, you gave a lot of examples in public. I mean, you're saying you never saw your kids do, say, a random act of compassion or kindness towards a brother or sister without you having to teach it? Uh, no, and, it, and that, it's different from kid to kid, obviously. No, that's that's a good point because some people do. They're they're more driven that way. Yeah, this is my point. But they all have evil in them. Yes, and I said everybody does. And you have to. Everybody has the potential for good too. Instruct them. If they have potential. Yeah. But what makes you want to be good? What makes you, Joey, when you drive up, when you leave tonight, and you get on this corner? down here, there's going to be a guy standing there with a sign out mm. that says, homeless, whatever. Right. Are you going to give him money? Probably not. Okay. Now, should you give him money? It's tough to know. It, it is, because you are discerning, and you are old enough to say, 
the, he a, may not just be right. somebody out there that's down on his luck. He may be have a car parked, you know, right around the corner, right. and he's making you know a couple of hundred dollars cash a day, and I don't need to help him. You're discerning, but as a child, it's like, hmm, dummy. You standing there on the side of the road, you go get a job or something. And even us grown-ups, us mm-hmm. adults, we fall into that from time to time. But you have to train children to be good, and they take that training on. And I know you were trained properly. I know you well enough to know that, that then you can use your discernment and say, you know, I'm probably not going to give this guy any money. Right. And, but, I, and then I have given people money, too, that have hit me up before. And I've, do, I've done the same thing. Right. I've given people money in parking lots, and this and that's, I mean, that's just... you gotta, you got to judge it in the moment, in many ways. But that's right. But there's and nothing... And sometimes, even if I feel like I'm getting ripped off, I'll do it anyway. And there's nothing built inside you to make you feel that way. That is something that you were taught yeah. and trained. You figure out. You were taught. What do what do children do when they're on the playground? Give me my toy back. Right. Don't touch my toy. Kids are they're 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 jealous. They're ruthless. They don't share. You have to teach children to share. I, I mean, don't think from, it's completely top down though. I think a lot, some kids are more you know like self serving and they don't want to share their toys at all. But then other kids do want to share their toys because they want to play a game. And that's actually how kids learn a lot of things, is they learn how to play games. They learn how to, even if the rules of a given game they're playing, like imagine some kids, I can remember some of my own life, we're going to build a fort in after-school care. And mm-hmm. nobody wrote out all the rules to begin with, but we just kind of make up this story as we go along. And the folks that you want to play with are the ones that kind of go along with the story. They, Without having to say it, you sort of get the game that's going on. Yeah. And out of that can come a lot of lessons. And then as you get older, you can make those very explicit. And yes, there does need to be some schooling. Adults do need to help steer their children. (laughs) I guess here's my point and what got us onto this conversation of what is man basically is I am a hopeful cynic that I'm, I'm very hopeful that human beings can be good as good as possible. I don't mean good like always follow the rule. I mean they can do things that better themselves, that better others and make this life a much better place. And not just better in terms of like I've got all the food, I've got all the toys, I've got all the luxuries. I mean also better in a meaningful sense. Like we're actually helping one another. We're striving for greater heights at the same time as helping for one another. All these sure. Things. Yes. But I'm cynical about some of the impulses that people do have to control others, even for with good intentions. And it's that control that in my mind should be greatly limited because I think often that control, back to the original point, is a conspiracy against those people who actually have goodness in their heart. And I, I think sometimes this view that the average guy is just too dumb, too lazy, too selfish, too self-centered, all these things will not help out his fellow man is what leads us. He's not responsible enough to put it in a single word. So that means we need something like a government to take care of him and make him responsible. So, But here's the trick. The more you set up that government, why, why be responsible? Why be responsible for that guy with that sign saying, in need of food or shelter or clothing, when you assume, well, we've got a government program for that? So it's a it's a two way street. There's feedback loop. 
Yeah. And, and I think that's what we have done is we have moved from that. And I agree with a lot of what you just said, but that the dude that needs help instead of Joey Clark or mm. Clay Sharp helping this guy, you do. You fall into that. Well, what am I paying my taxes for? I mean, we got SNAP. We got Rick. Right. We've got food stamps. Dude needs to go get some of that. Because, I mean, I'm not going to pay 30% of my salary to something and then also pay you out of my pocket. And it it, it hurts people, I think, on that end a lot. Yeah. But it takes I, away a lot of personal initiative. I think you're still you're pretty optimistic. Yeah. I'm optimistic that even if people do wrong, more people will see that hurt. And it, it goes down to something that basic. That hurts. And it's not just, oh, that hurts me like I touched a hot stove. It's like, that hurts like in my brain. Like my heart hurts. My spirit hurts when I see that. Yeah, and what often in history has given people the excuse to do terrible, evil, mass atrocities has been some form of ideology. A new rule they had to be taught, if not beat into them, that, oh, you follow this ideology, don't follow your basic instincts to help people. It's usually ideology that's the excuse. Especially in the 20th century, it was ideology. But with that, I want to continue on this conspiracy after this break. Joey Clark. Clark. Oh, and believe you me, folks, the conversation continued off air. And in just a second, I want to get back into this, one of the biggest conspiracies in history. That is government is conspiracy against uh, superior types of people. Not some weird claim. I'm not claiming any group of people superior. I think superior people come out of all sorts of different groups and backgrounds, obviously. You probably could just substitute the word successful people. Yes. Or good people. It could be a word. Good is superior to bad. But before we get back into that conspiracy, I'll tell you again about one way I've been trying to become better. And better my, not only my body, but my mind. I mean, some of it's vanity. You look in the mirror in the morning and the evening when you're changing your clothes. You do have some big old biceps now. Uh, the biceps are okay. Yes, I don't I'm getting know. there. I'm I trying mean... to get a chest. Ever since my Uncle Greg said, oh, what's that thing? And he's poking me in what I call the chest. He's like, what's this? I go, that's my chest. He goes, no, that's the front of your back. That's stuck with me for years. <laughs> so you, you heard it here first, Uncle Greg. I'm growing a chest. All right? I'm working on it. Really, that's just silliness. But... I am really enjoying my time since I started over at Express Fitness 24-7. Loving it. Absolutely loving it. Because it's not only, yes, a test, a challenge, something you got to put your mind to. Okay, what's the workout today? What's the proper way to do the workout? But it's also a good routine in the morning, at least doing it twice a week, to get out there and push myself. Well, and the I thing, love it. The thing I love about 
this idea is you can go in the morning, you can go at night. The 24-7 means absolutely 24-7. Absolutely. You don't have to sign a long-term contract. You don't get hooked in for a year. You've been and, listening to me. And, you know, you go for like two months and you're like, this isn't working out for me. Well, crap, I still got to pay for the whole year. Right. You can give it a try for a month or two. That's right. And and they'll help you out when you first go there. They'll they'll give you some initial free personal training. And, I mean, that's, I mean, that's amazing for people that... That have odd schedules like we do. Like you can leave the radio station tonight. Mm-hmm. It'll probably be about nine o'clock before you get through with all your other stuff, and you can run by and work out nine o'clock. Right, whenever I like. Get some cardio work in. Get on that row machine and get going with it. I mean, there's all sorts of things you can do. They have state of the art equipment and many locations throughout the River Region. Again, folks, this is Express Fitness twenty four seven. You can visit their website at Express Fitness twenty four the number twenty four dot com. Again, that website is Express Fitness twenty. 24.com locations in Prattville, Millbrook, Wetumpka, Clanton, Montgomery, and even Pine Level. You said it wrong. That's Clanton. Clanton. Yeah, they, no, no T in Clanton. Uh, it's, that's Clanton. my. It's my Jersey side coming out. Clanton. Yeah. <laughs> so check them out, folks, and tell them that Joey from the radio sent you. Um, you will not be disappointed. And get out there. It's it's really helping me. And I'm not just again talking about oh my chest looks bigger, my biceps looks bigger, whatever, my pants fit better. I'm more talking about it's a good test mentally to become a better person all around. It's not the only thing you have to do, but it's a good plank and a whole platform for you to stand on and to grow. So again, Express Fitness 24-7, uh, check them out. Now, I want to continue with this conspiracy because we left off before we got kind of sidetracked. I love that discussion, by the way, but what are people fundamentally? And that's actually a much bigger discussion for another night because mm-hmm. you can bring to bear... Uh, not only scripture and philosophy, you can also bring to bear new things we found in psychology about differences in temperament and how kids learn and grow up. And there's been a lot of work done on like what we are, say, in the last 20 years, if not further back. <laughs> I mean, there's some, it's fascinating stuff out there, and I'm only beginning to scratch the surface on that topic. But where we left off on this conspiracy is that the thinking man, the guy who comes up with the original idea, government's very skeptical of him. Sometimes they think, mm, maybe we can co-opt him. Ooh, we'll give you a like a very, very nice salary. Just use your brilliance for us. That does happen. Sure. If they can't do that, though, they're very, very skeptical of them. Try to create a very successful business, folks, and not have a lobbyist. I know folks are complaining that big tech now spends $50 million, if not more, a year on lobbying. Can you imagine what would happen if they didn't have a lobbyist? Yes, people try to buy politicians, but politicians also extort successful, productive people. So it's, mm-hmm. again, a two-way street. And so the really you know ingenious thinking man obviously thinks government is outside of him and intolerable and insane half the time. It's just, it's like, what is this thing? But let's go to the average man, whatever his errors in his life. And you know what? Most people are average. That's why it's the average. I actually don't consider myself superior in a way. I'm pretty average. It's my only elitism I allow us. It's a famous line is we're all in the gutter. Some of us are just looking at the stars. I try to look at the stars, literally and figuratively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the average man, whatever his errors otherwise, at least sees clearly that government is something lying outside of him and outside everybody else. That it is a separate, independent, and often hostile power only partly under his control and capable of doing him great harm. 
in his romantic moments again. Like, he thinks, mm, idealism, I, I could pull something off. I may think of the government as a benevolent father figure, or even a mother, or even as some sort of jinn, like spirit, or, or little g, God. But he never thinks of it as part of himself. In times of trouble, he looks for the government to perform miracles to his benefit. At other times, he sees it as an enemy with which he must do constant battle. Is it a fact of no little significance that robbing the government is everywhere regarded as a crime of less magnitude, magnitude than robbing an individual? Of course, the government doesn't think that. No. See, but here's what lies behind all this. At least I believe. It's a deep sense of the fundamental antagonism between the government and the people it governs. Even a democratic government. Because let's just say, even if you voted for Donald Trump and you love what Trump's done and you even like the tweeting, you like everything about Donald Trump. Can't do anything wrong. You got to admit, there's a lot of people in this country that don't like Donald Trump. So those folks don't really feel like it represents them. There's an antagonism between the government and the people it governs. And it doesn't have to be these elected officials or personalities we talk about all the time. It could be, I don't like that bureaucracy. I don't like the EPA telling me how much water I can have on my property. Tell me I need to get this rule or I need to check off this box and come into compliance with this particular rule that an unelected bureaucrat has now put down in the federal registrar. I mean, it's it's something that we're always at odds with, even if you generally like what the government does. I think Minkin also has another line that does the government do things that are useful? He said, yeah, just like doctors do things useful. But if the government is a doctor here in this metaphor, then... It'd be like a doctor coming to your house, treating your sore throat, but then also stealing the silverware, stealing your fine jewels, and having his way with the housemaid. (laughs) That's, if the government was a doctor, that's what it'd do. That's pretty good. It is pretty good. And this is why I like Minkin. He's also pretty funny. Okay. The government's apprehended not as a committee of citizens chosen to carry out the communal business of the whole people but as a separate and autonomous corporation, mainly devoted to exploiting the population for the benefit of its own members. What's interesting, though, and this goes back, like, I think St. Augustine even said the government is essentially a gang of thieves, a gang of robbers, writ large. And that's, I mean, if you look historically, that is what government has been. And even if it maybe gets started completely voluntarily, like everybody consents to a government initially, once it gets going doing what government does, it stops being consensual pretty quickly. And some of you out there might be thinking, but we vote every few years at many different levels for all sorts of different positions of government and job holders. I want to share something. A guy named Tim Shermack posted something on the Book of Faces that I found scintillating. Because there has been a lot of talk, Southernwood, about big tech. Is Amazon a monopoly? Is Facebook a monopoly? Is Twitter? Is Google? All these powerful corporations, don't get me wrong, there are very powerful corporations out there. They often are in bed with the government. That said, think of an evil like big pharma, the big drug companies, big tech, the military industrial complex. All these things we worry about. And rightfully so. So, Tim here on the Book of Faces writes, Imagine that a trillion-dollar company selected its CEO 
say it's a two or three trillion dollar company even, but selected its CEO with a public vote every four years. Imagine that this company had an army with nuclear weapons. Imagine that this company had the power to suppress competition and literally force the public to buy its product. Imagine that this company forced you to enroll in its pension plan, even though you didn't work there and their pension was, well, that pension fund's bankrupt. Imagine that they offered health benefits to all stakeholders, but first garnish 40% of your wages to offer you those benefits. If a company this evil actually existed, it would be ripe for disruption. It would be easy for a competing company to win over its captive customers. That's how markets work. When customers have choices, they have all the power. Not necessarily. Unless those customers had convinced themselves that voting for a new CEO every four years was freedom. The thing... And see if this makes sense to you. You live in a house, and there's electricity that is supplied to your house to a transformer down a transmission line. Mm -hmm. From that transformer, it drops down to your service mast, comes into your meter. It gauges how much electricity you use, and you use that power. Can you call another company and say, hey, I don't want Alabama Power to send me power anymore. Right. I want uh, Dixie Electric to bring me power. Right. And Dixie says, "Mm, okay, I mean, we can, but we don't have a transmission line. We can get it over there, Mm -hmm. but it's going to cost you, you know, $375,000 to get the right-of-way and to get the electricity over there. So what do do you do with things like utilities? Well, I mean, just because markets generally solve more problems and do give you at least some choice doesn't mean that you don't run into practical problems. There are real costs in the world. There, there is the real fact that you exist alongside other people. Absolutely. Okay. So, so maybe if Dixie Electric, it's too costly for them to get the rights away and bring a transmission line out to you, and it's you can't do it. Here's the problem. Dixie Electric, by law, cannot bring power to your house. Mm. No one except for the Southern Company, where right. you live, Right. no one but Alabama Power, the Southern Company, can supply power to your house. They're because a so-called common carrier, yes. They're a and, natural monopoly. And, and so they are given certain benefits, like certain guaranteed rates of return, but in turn, they're also incredibly regulated to make sure they're serving the people in this area justly. They are, and I could go on about this for hours. I can go so deep into this, I'm not going to bore your listeners. Is not the Internet getting that? To that point, that's what I'm I know. You've about. got Bing, and I know you got Google, right, and right. you've got you do have other outlets. But is it not getting to the point that it needs to be regulated in some form or fashion? That's actually what I'm. I'm seeing people suggesting that, and I think it's way too early in the game because I think if you pull the trigger now, say let's treat Google like a public utility, then you're going to have Google forever you're just you're saying okay there's going to be no chance at google so let's just go ahead and regulate them but that empowers google as well to be the monopoly and this is what i'm worried is companies like google want 
the end of the day, they might say, ooh, if we take the... We take this opportunity now. Yeah, we'll take on some regulation, and they'll control us in some ways, but we'll be the only player in town. And we'll have the law backing us to be the only player in town. I think that's what they want. So I think it's too early in the game. It is most certainly what they want. When Mm -hmm. When you hear people raising hell and just, I mean, burning the freaking house down about regulations and this and that, the big people love regulation. They love it because what that does, you know what it does, Joey? Hurts competitors. Upstarts. Jogel will <laughs> never get started. Jogel. It will it will never happen because you can't comply with all the rules and regulations. And once you get those put in, it's just like you know, on the back side, if Southern Company was not regulated at all, they could come in tomorrow. We buy power at approximately, I mean, taxes and all is about nine and a half cents kilowatt hour. Right. And tomorrow they could come in and say, hey, you know what? We own all those lines. We put them all in. We're going to charge you $5 a kilowatt hour. Right. And your power bill goes from $100 a month to $2,000 a month. You, you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to have power. Right, you don't. You know. Necessarily. But, yeah, and there are practical concerns. And I'm for some form of governance, obviously. This is, does happen. I think we just go way too far with that governance. And I think we do, we too. Do, we go to that. That there's. A, I'll put it a different way. There's a role for co- coercive force in society. There's a role for... Certain people being allowed to use force to, in that, I mean, beat somebody up, kidnap somebody, put them in jail. If not, in an extreme case, kill them. Now, everybody has the right to kill somebody in self-defense. You can justify it was in self-defense, of course. But I think we take that idea, that power, that even if you're not doing something in self-defense, you can do all those things I just said. We take that idea and we've had it, we're going to that well too often. That should be used very sparingly. It I, should, and who do you use it against? You use it against murderers. You use it against thieves. I, I think you use we it go against to people it that steal and defraud in general. Too quickly, yes. I think, is a better way. You mentioned that a little bit earlier. I oh, think that's yeah. a better way to put it. It's too quickly. At some point, you have to get there. But I make this asinine analogy to make you think about, you know, yeah, it, it it sounds great. Oh, we need no regulation. No, that we, should be. We kind of do. In my mind, that should be the starting point, and then you need to make a really damn good case for it. I mean, the state and of Alabama, some of those cases do exist, but I think we've been giving in to all sorts of very bad cases for regulation. Sure. Way too quickly. And what happens when you give into the bad case for regulation is that it doesn't work. And so somebody comes up with another bad case for more regulation to fix the first bad regulation. I think one of the biggest problems is the way that our Constitution was structured and written and the way this country was founded. They had the assumption that the future leaders of this country would have common sense. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, that's why you have the Ten Commandments. You have ten laws. Is don't do these. Yeah. And, and you can apply those in common sense. 
and then you get somebody arguing, well, yeah, but, and they get down to the nth degree, and you go, okay, well, you can't do that. Well, it's not in the law. Okay, well, let's write a law that says you can't spit on the sidewalk. You know, it says, you know, love your brother as yourself is one of the the rules. Mm -hmm. But tuberculosis is rampant, so don't (laughs) be spitting on the sidewalk where somebody's going to step in it and get tuberculosis from you. So we have to write a new rule that you can't spit on the sidewalk. We face actual practical problems. Absolutely. Yeah, but it's. And you got to face those problems. It should be covered under a common sense if judges would use yes. common sense and people would accept that. I actually think we should have We less, don't need that many laws. I think we should have less legislatures and more courts, but more diverse courts, uh, better working courts. Uh, I think law should emanate from the common law, from people making different contracts, all, covenants, all sorts of things. But to end the show, since it's been so minkin-heavy... Here's the ideal form of government against, uh, according to this guy who considered government a conspiracy against the superior man, his words. Here's what he says about his ideal form of government. And it's also why he's a pessimistic cynic, whereas I'm a hopeful cynic. You'll hear why he's pessimistic. He says the ideal government of all reflective men from Aristotle onward is one which lets the individual alone. One which barely escapes being no government at all. This ideal, I believe, will be realized in the world 20 or 30 centuries after I have passed from these scenes and taken up my public duties in hell. (laughs) So he wasn't very hopeful, to put it least. And what could be more of a hell for H.L. Macon than having to serve as some demonic bureaucrat? Bless his heart. Indeed. And with that, thank you for joining me, Southernwood. Anytime. Thank you for listening, folks. I'll be back tomorrow. Joey Clark.